This is the Better Wealth Podcast with your host, Caleb Williams. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode two and I had the pleasure of interviewing Patrick Donahoe uh, and this one was a fun one. Pat is the CEO and founder of a company called Paradigm Life. Paradigm works with people all around the country um, and they really inspired me to kind of create a company online and you're going to see that you know, I actually share that with Pat as we open up this interview and what a significant impact he's had on my life. But that's actually not the reason why I'm interviewing him. Uh, Patrick actually came out with a book just this last month, and it's called Heads I Win, Tales You Lose. It's all about what we like to talk about in the podcast, about you being your greatest asset, taking back control. He looks at what the American dream is and what we should what the american dream should be like and and i think if you're someone that wants to take back control of your money if you're someone that's looking for better ways to um understand how money works you're gonna love this interview and you're gonna love hearing patrick's passion as he talks about um just his book and his principles i know i enjoyed this i didn't know really what to expect but at the end of this interview i was so fired up and so excited uh, that i not only got to share this with my audience uh, but that i got to be in the same business and help people in the same way that patrick does so without further ado here's patrick donahoe Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Caleb. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, so before we jump into your book, which is really exciting, um, I want to explain to the audience how I actually knew, like how I how I recognized you or, or why you're on the podcast. So I'm kind of starting my whole series by kind of creating like a mentor series. And when I was 18 years old, I was learning about money, about wealth, and I started YouTubing some concepts and you were the video, I started watching Paradigm Life videos about you going on to Truth Concepts, you talking about different theories. And I want you to know that because of that is what, what got me to go down this road and got me into this industry. And I would not be doing this podcast or doing all the things that I'm doing without your videos. So thank you. Oh, well, I, yeah. That, you know, just, I, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It means a lot. So one of the, I mean, one of the things that um, I would love to talk about is you just came out with a brand new book and um, I want, I, I would love for you to kind of give an overview of the book um, and, and, and the book's really breaking, broken down into like um, sharing about how you got into like the business of, uh, of money. And then you talk about the American dream and uh, this idea of delegating responsibilities and you got to get into then the meat at the end on how we can truly have this American dream. Um, and, and the book is, is called Heads I Win, Tails You Lose, uh, which I think is a really intriguing title. Um, so why don't you kind of break down like why this book, a little bit about your background, and then I have some notes because I uh, loved the book when I read it and I thought you touched on some really great concepts. Cool. Yeah. And just, and just interrupt me if I'm not going on the, the path you want me to, uh, but you know, I would say the book is, it plays multiple, uh, purposes. I mean, I'm, I, first it's, it's, it's not like I woke up one morning and said, Hey, I'm going to do a book. I mean, it was an idea, uh, that was, you know, just kept, um, you know, it kept coming up over and over and over. And I actually started uh, probably four years ago, four or five years ago, with the intention of doing it and, uh, you know, came up with a manuscript and it kind of sucked. So I just 
trashed, you know, trashed it. And uh, then, you know, that, that, that piece of me that realizes the importance of finishing everything that you start mm. just kept warning me, you better finish it. You better finish. So, so it was one of those, it's one of those things where in the beginning, I really didn't think I had much of a message to share. You know, I was really you know, leveraging the ideas uh, the the concept strategies of of my of my mentors, and didn't feel that I had anything unique uh, to add, uh, and that was you know probably up until even five or four four or five years ago when I got into the first manuscript. And so the book, you know, that I started you know a little over two years ago, the the one that just came out, um, you know, I I had learned some valuable business lessons a couple of years ago by you know experiencing a lot of um, I would say. Um, uh, challenge is probably an understatement, but there's a lot of anxiety associated with building a business and I experienced quite a bit of it. And, and so it taught me some really valuable lessons. And so those lessons plus all the financial concepts and a lot of the, you know, psych, uh, the, the philosophical ideas that I've learned over the years, uh, I wanted to combine that with my story and, and really have something that uh, would be part of my legacy, what my kids could uh, could read in the future and understand about, uh, you know, what it was I did, what, I, what it was I believed in. Uh, so in large part, it was for, it was for them. And, uh, and then, you know, it was also for our, our existing, you know, existing clients that we have, you know, done uh, business with over the last uh, decade plus, and it really a guide a guide for them because this is a, a different type of uh, financial strategy. It, it is not the typical financial strategy that, that most people follow and are taught, and and that's where you know I, I also have found a lot of value in being able to. Uh, have dialogue with existing clients and get their feedback on some of the experiences they've had uh, with talking to others about what it is they're doing with their finances. So, so it's, it's really, you know, that was one of the, the purposes behind uh, doing the book. And then heads, I heads, or win, or heads, I win, tails, you lose was more of a, you know, a good, good marketing coaches, right. That took, you know, five hour brainstorm in Denver, you know, to come up with it. But the idea is how to position yourself so that you're not gambling so that you don't lose. Uh, and is that absolutely possible? No, but at the same time, I would say people are, are in the far end of the spectrum when it comes to uh, trying to gain when it comes to wealth. And that spectrum is, is, uh, is, is gambling. So I dive into a little bit of that type of philosophy, but I, you know, what I've really, what I really firmly believe in is, is more in the subtitle of the book, which is uh, a financial strategy to reignite the American dream. And it isn't, you know, insurance based insurance is part of it. It's a tool, uh, but it's the, it's the idea behind uh, what I feel I was lacking as I, you know, learned about business and learned about finance and learned about, you know, having a family and, and, and if, there's some ideas that are ingrained in our culture that I believe are uh, the opposite of what the founding uh, founding fathers, the, those that really established our country believed in. Uh, in fact, I think it's the diametric opposite in a, in a sense. And so I, I firmly believe in that. And I realized that a lot of the decay when it comes to American wealth finance and the, the situation that we're in personally as Americans, but also the situation we're in as a country fiscally uh, is representative of 
misunderstanding in regards to the American dream. Because if you were to ask people what that is today, it's essentially having a secure job with benefits and you know putting money into a 401k so that, the, so that you can retire. Uh, and that's the narrative. And I believe that that is, that is the, quite the opposite of why our country became as successful as it's, uh, as it's become. I still think it's successful, relatively speaking. So that's where you dial back, you know, what is the American dream? And it's essentially the, the pursuit of uh, life, liberty, and property. And that was the original, you know, sentence or series of words used by John Locke, who inspired Thomas Jefferson to actually put that in the Declaration of Independence. But the idea was, you know, life, these are the three elements that Locke and a lot of other uh, contemporaries believed about what variables were required uh, to produce a prosperous society. Uh, and life was one of them, which is the right to life. Uh, and that was not someone to tell you what you could or could not do as long as it didn't violate the rights of others. And then liberty is the, is the freedom to pursue what's unique about, about you. Uh, and in a society in which you can figure out ways in which you can benefit other people. Uh, and then finally, property, which isn't, you know, a, a lot or, you know, a commercial building. Property is essentially the material world where you can combine what comes about by understanding the principle of life and liberty and combining that with the physical world and creating products or, or you know, a, a house or uh, creating structure for uh, you know, communities, whether it's, you know, uh, electric structure or plumbing structure, or, you know, it could be whatever business that exists is a byproduct of those elements. And, uh, and, and I believe that's where true fulfillment and happiness and, and wealth comes from. But yet, instead of taking on that responsibility, Americans have taken uh, the stance where they're delegating that responsibility to other people. Uh, first and foremost, it's, you know, for a government to take care of us, which I don't think was ever the intention. Uh, and, and then it's also to financial services, even in the insurance industry falls into this, which is you're giving, you're basically having other people take care of your future financial well-being, which I think inherently is flawed and doesn't matter what type of things that you invest in or put money into. If that's the mentality by which you do it, there's not going to be a, a good outcome in the end. And that's been not just a theory, but I've actually experienced that with thousands of thousands of people and analyzing their financial situation and figuring out the cause of it. So I would say that, you know, the book in a nutshell uh, gives the the surface. I, I try not to go into a lot of financial examples. I think those, you know, really hurt people if the context isn't completely crystal clear. And and so that's what I tried to do a, a good job of doing. And, and there's some people that like it. There's some people that don't like it. Uh, as far as you know, some of the, the feedback that I've gotten, which I was expecting. Uh, but in the end, I, I feel people are more aware today that there are issues and they're trying to figure out what is the, not the, you know, the detailed you know, uh, issues behind it, but it's what is the core philosophy uh, that has caused the issues and outcomes that we've, we have as a country. Uh, and I can go off on that forever. Uh, but I would say, you know, that's the nature of, of the book. And that's what I was trying to accomplish when, uh, when I was writing it. And, and when I was reading it, it was very, very apparent that you were not, you, this was not a read and get a strategy and like, just run with it. It was, it was really taking a back. It was taking a step back and saying, what is the American dream? One of the things that you like pounded multiple times throughout the book is this idea of investing in ourselves and, and looking at ourselves as our number one asset instead of um, giving up control and going to Wall Street. Do you want to like um, share a little bit more on, about on that? 
And again, it, it comes from it comes from experience. I would say m- most people they they have an attraction towards certainty, and and I would argue that when it comes to you know finance and wealth, uh, the more control and certainty you have, uh, the higher the gain is going to be, and uh, and that and certainty and control come from education. And so looking at you know, my experience in business or my experience with others and their business or their profession, okay, the most money that they've ever made hasn't come from an asset. It's come from themselves. I, mean, I had a client in here uh, today that I've worked with, one of the first, one of the first clients, and he, you know, he read the book and he was like, man, you were going through some hard times back you know, when, we, when we met, which was like two, you know, early 2010. And, uh, and it was cool to, you know, to, to have, I mean, we've done like a, a number of different deals together and, uh, and he, and he brought his wife and I've never met his wife before and they're local. I mean, I rarely meet with people that are local. Uh, he just sold a, a business for high seven figures and it, and it was one of those, you know, I, we were getting into the nitty gritty of some of the investments that he's done and the insurance that he's done. And I'm like, listen, like this is where your skill is. And he's 50 years old. I'm like, why are we going to pick apart, you know, the details and the uh, of what type of return you're going to get in in this property or this policy? It's like you just made this much money, and and it's not like you know you're going to take all of your experience and all of your education and suddenly be like, okay, I'm not going to use that ever again. Like the idea is, I think true fulfillment, right, comes from being able to take who we are and be of benefit to somebody else. And at the highest level, it's, it's doing that with business. And he clearly was able to do that. If he now delegates that to an asset or an investment, okay, solely to take care of his well-being, I, I don't, that, for me, that is not a good financial strategy. So the idea of investing in yourself, it could be business, but it could be, you know, your skill set. If you have, you know, an analytical skill set or you have something that you like doing uh, that people are paying you for, maximize that right? And maximize it even more and even more. And that's where most wealth is going to come from. But people aren't told to do that uh, to, to establish wealth, right? They're told to, you know, be a miser, live on less than you make, uh, and put money into your 401k and pay off all debt. I mean, that is not, and to me, they're missing the point as far as wealth. I mean, a person can take 10 grand that they would put into a 401k, go to a management course and get a $30,000 raise the first year. It's one of those, like, there's so much opportunity there as well as how quickly our society is becoming virtual and how much, uh, how many types of uh, jobs exist. And I mean, there's, people can find what they love doing and find a way in which they can provide that for somebody else and get paid really well to do it. And I've just, I've seen it a number of times. It's not just a, a theory. And, uh, and so that's where, you know, investing in yourself, it's can be defined in multiple ways, but that's the idea is that you should, you should focus there first, uh, because it's not just a financial uh, outcome. It's like a personal outcome too. I mean, when you, when you know that you've been valuable to somebody else, I mean, people seek that. I mean, it's been psychologists have talked about it for eons and you can apply that to business. And if you hate what, I mean, I said something in the book, I'm like, if you hate what you do, stop, like quit, quit your freaking job. Right. And it's, and it's a bold, something bold, but I've seen more misery come from people that hate what they do. Even though they may have a lot of money, they hate what they do and it doesn't, the money doesn't matter. Wow. Um, that was, that was beautifully, that was beautifully stated. One of the things that I really, really appreciated you going into is you were really transparent. I was like, wow, is this, 
you're publishing this, right? <laughs> and so I'm reading your story and, and I've told you this a couple times, Pat, but like I am doing what I'm doing in business because of your business model that you've inspired. Like, and, and for those of you that are listening, uh, Patrick is the CEO and, and founder of uh, Paradigm Life. And they, you, create, you created a virtual company that you can work with um, everyone, all 50 states and you can help people implement the strategies that you wrote about. And do you want to give a little bit of your background and like how you stumbled upon this? And obviously in the book, you kind of share about like this book didn't happen overnight. And like it gave, it gave me a, even a greater appreciation for the journey that you've been on. Um, but also just a, kind of what, what your business model is like. And um, because you are, you are living out the advice that you're giving people. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> It's been, you know, I tried to explain as much as possible, you know, in, in there that I thought would be valuable. Um, I took a lot out that, you know, people were like, this isn't going to, this doesn't, whether it's in or out, it doesn't make a difference. So, I, I mean, I, I intended on putting as much in there as would be valuable to others. And uh, so, you know, yeah, the story, uh, I would say I'm, I'm, I don't really come up with anything original, right? I think I've, I've developed an eye for things that would, that work and an eye for things that are valuable. And, and so, you know, er, early on when I finished, uh, finished school, uh, I worked for a company that did, uh, they had a call center, they, they generated leads online. This is, you know, this is not recent. This is way back, you know, this is 2004, 2005, 2006. And, you know, a call center and dialing and how those systems worked and uh, how management worked. Uh, and then also, you know, doing business with people uh, through webinar. I mean, we, I was, when I first started, there was no video conference. It was all just, you know, screen share. Uh, but how do you do business? You know, we did this that way. And then slowly we started using, uh, you know, with this other business, which was mostly uh, helping people with their debt situation. And there was also a mortgage, uh, you know, mortgage company associated with it. And that, that was the nature of the business was basically generating leads online and then uh, engaging with people through a call center. And then there were, was, you know, presentations given through webinars, right? So I, so I learned, I learned a lot of that from that, uh, that business structure. And then I met, uh, met Kim Butler and Garrett Gunderson and, and they um, had a really cool idea uh, and, and I, I, I mean, I respected Kim because she worked with Kiyosaki, who I was, you know, really drawn to, um, from, from a book that helped me refine my financial philosophy. So I was like, cool, what she must be doing work, you know, what, what she's doing works and it, it must be legitimate. I, maybe I can you know, do that. So that's where I, you know, transitioned and convinced the partnership that I was with to, you know, to, uh, uh, to do that bit, to do that business. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, man, I didn't believe I, it wasn't like I believed it. I, I, I looked at it as well. This could be a good business that would make money. I didn't understand what it did. Mm. Um, and I did it for a, a couple of years and I almost got out of the business a few times in 2009 and 2010, because I had to break away from the partnership because they went under and, and I, you know, had to figure out a way uh, to, you know, either, go on to another industry or go on to another business or to, to make it work. And, you know, I tell the story in the book of where, you know, I went on a, you know, a, a trip uh, and on that trip is where I engage with those that have been doing this for a really long time. Uh, one of which was Nelson, Nelson Nash and Kim and Kim was there too. And, and it gave me this, this boost of energy uh, 
um, to, to make it work because what I was doing, I, I, I realized that it was, it made a difference in people's, in people's lives. And uh, so that, you know, got me to propel beyond all the crap I was dealing with. I mean, um, I got wrapped up in a lot of the the business stuff, you know, the certain decisions that were being made by other partners in the business. And, it, you know, it was, it was really difficult and I didn't understand business. I didn't understand what a partnership meant, what I was signing, you know, when I said I would be personally responsible for certain liabilities associated with the government. I, didn't, I mean, I was so naive in, in business at that point that, you know, I just made some stupid, uh, ignorant decisions, right? Uh, not on purpose, but just because of lack of experience. And it, and it, it came and bit me and it took, you know, several years uh, to dig myself out of that. Uh, but what happened during that period of time is I became so compelled by you know, what I felt was a solution that I just started planting seeds everywhere. And, you know, I'd email people and I would do hundreds of meetings, webinars every week. I mean, I just wanted to get the message out there and those seeds eventually started to, to blossom. And so, you know, as the blossoming occurred, you know, we did more business and, uh, you know, just have grown, have grown since, well, we grew, we grew up until about 2015 and then, you know, uh, for most business owners getting to the point where you're at a certain uh, employee count and revenue number to the next level is, you know, it's, it's rarely done. And so that's why I've been trying to figure out the last few years, which I think I have, but it's not complete yet. In the, in the book where you, you get into kind of a, some, you, you get into what you call the wealth maximization account. Um, but you also talk about this idea of like hierarchy of wealth and you have four tiers. And I remember reading it and starring it because I'm like, okay, if, if someone took away one thing and you, and there's a lot of gold nuggets and, and by the way, if someone tries to take a tactic without understanding the why behind it, it's not going to help mm-hmm. them long-term. But I'm like, if all, if, if someone understood this and then started investing and I'm, and a lot of these list, a lot of the listeners here are, are entrepreneurs or are starting their journey, like they would be so better off. And, and so why don't you talk about the hierarchy of wealth and kind of the four tiers. And if you're, if you're listening, take notes because this could literally change your life. Well, I w- so I'll, I'll tell you how I uh, kind of came up with it. So the, the hierarchy of wealth was based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And Abraham Maslow was a, a psychologist and I would say understood human behavior uh, better than anyone. Uh, especially at his, you know, in, during his era. And the hierarchy of needs talks about what motivates human beings, right? And so the first, uh, first tier is physiological needs, which is, you know, essentially our, our shelter, food, um, you know, clothing, be, being able to survive, right? Uh, then it's safety, which is once we have our physiological needs met, now we see naturally, we seek to be safe, whether that's the community that we're in, whether that's having shelter or something stable, we seek safety. Um, and then after we have safety, the next thing that we think uh, that we seek is uh, relationships, okay, and community. And then after that, it's kind of more intimate relationships, and then it's self-esteem, and then it's self-actualization, which is your, you know, your why, your reason for being but the idea is that if you're at the foundational level of not having physiological needs, right, not having food, not having shelter, then anything you say about self-actualization, right, as far as what a driving force of a person is, it's, it's, 
It makes no sense. There's zero context. And so the idea is that the sequence through which you obtain self-actualization, you can't skip steps. You can't go from like mm-hmm. physiological to self-esteem, right? It's like you have to have all of those steps taken care of before you actually can take care of, you know, really what that esoteric drive is, which is self, self-actualization, which is, you know, charitable work. You wonder why, you know, uh, celebrities and athletes, why they're, they're so, um, you know, adamant about charitable causes, et cetera. It's because they have everything taken care of. And the next natural need is to, you know, mm. recognize that, wow, I'm super blessed and I'm super fortunate. I want to help others, right? And that's where they mm. start to discover ways in which they can do that. Anyway, so that's where it came from. So you, now you go to the hierarchy of wealth and, and I basically, you know, looked at the framework in which people uh, are taught to manage their money. And it's almost the, it's almost the opposite, right? Because yeah. I look at you know, the bottom tier as tier one capital, which is your safest. I mean, this is where it, you, know, you build your bucket. And uh, in your first bucket, before it starts to spill over, right, is your safe capital, your reserves. It can include insurance. It can include you know, your estate planning. It can include asset protection. It, I think it's dependent on the person. But that safety, that tier one capital meets certain requirements. And those t- requirements typically are not in uh, not tied to risk or investment. Right. And the second tier, once the first bucket is filled, now you keep putting money into the buckets, and it spills over into the next bucket, right? Which is uh, you know assets that you can that you control. Uh, could be investment in yourself. Uh, could be a business. It's really it has those characteristics of certainty and control. And then once you fill that one up then you know it gets to what i consider assets that have collateral which means um you know even if the underlying investment loses there's something that backs it and hopefully it's still an investment that produces cash flow so would uh, real estate would be a good tier 3 asset then i would say real estate syndication would be a good tier 3 asset and syndication is where you know you don't own or have title to property uh, but you participate in a partnership and you give your money to the partnership, but there is underlying property associated with it. Okay. Yep. okay. And then finally, it's, it's tier four, which is more of the speculative investments. These are risky. You can lose all of your money. And so, if you really look at how people manage their finances, it's not in, the, it's not in that sequence. It's almost the opposite sequence. Yeah. That's why people never, ever get to having enough savings because everything is stuck in you know, the most riskiest assets. And that's where, you know, I look at, you know, qualified plans, deferred compensation plans, anything there, you're essentially giving your money to somebody else, but then you're also deferring uh, the, the taxes and the manner in which the money can be distributed to the future. And you're trusting the government uh, that they'll do the right thing, right? So that when you actually do take it out, it'll be favorable to you and it never is. Right. So that's where I, I you know, try to break into, you know, at least some sort of visualized familiar structure so that people have context mm-hmm. as to how they measure the different type of assets they have. You know, you, you mentioned this idea of being the exact opposite and you talk in your book, the difference between saving and investing. Why don't you break down for the listener what the difference is? Because it, it sounds obvious, but you're right. Most people put their most precious dollars and invest it when they really think they're actually saving it. You know, and I would say, you know, investing, I had toyed around with the idea of, of saying gambling, right? Because that's what it truly is. I don't think, mo- I don't think people invest. Mm-hmm. If you really look at the def- you know, that true definition and where the word came from, 
right? It's it's not what it is defined what it's defined as today, right? So I would say it's, it's gambling, and basically it's something for nothing, right? You put your money into something, and you know you just hope it grows, but you have no idea how it's going to provide value to somebody else to which it's going to actually grow. Some people do, and that's where I, I differentiate between you know like the stock market and Wall Street. Okay, the stock market, I would say there are lots of opportunities there for people that are educated, understand valuations, understand you know, the different strategies that, that exist. I think that's viable. But Wall Street is essentially more or less saying, give me your money and I'll, I'll, I'll grow it for you. Just trust me. That, that's where I you know, look at the, the, the passive type of investing in something that you, know, you don't you don't control and you don't know whether it's going to go up or down. It's all based on the principle of hope. And I think that's what that definition of uh, investing is. Uh, saving is actually putting money into something that you're not going to lose, right? And uh, money that hopefully earns some interest, but it, it has that principle, whether it's a contract or whether uh, there's insurance that protects it. That's, you know, that's essentially what, uh, what savings is. I was uh, I, I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and I said something that I want to bounce off you. I don't know if it's as profound as I think it is, but it's this idea of the way that we think about money and the way that we act, like the way that we invest or or, or spend our money, devalues the way that we think about ourselves. You know, because because what we're end up doing is we're gambling. I like that word, and then we're also postponing and or deferring to a future. Um, and you talk a lot about taxes. You talk about David Walker, and your two senses. Whether you think taxes are going up or down, take responsibility and don't don't give up control. Is that is that somewhat yeah, accurate? You don't you don't have control over over that. And I would say. You know, in any, in any instance where you are delegating what should be your personal responsibility to somebody else, you know, it is that, that is where things start to go a little haywire. Now, I don't believe in, in, you know, not, not having a team and not, and just being an individual and doing everything yourself. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. What I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, essentially when you are putting trust in somebody else, and have no idea really what they're doing uh, and hoping that they benefit you. That, that right there is just, a, to me, it's a, it's a very risky proposition and that's where all investment failure starts. And I've seen it not just in typical investing, but I've seen it also with, you know, I mean, you look at Madoff as an example, like, you know, it's the, it's the whole joke that's, that's used, like who would ever put money with a guy whose name is made off, right? So it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. so the idea is, is just, you know, people have this naturally ingrained idea that they're going to get ahead in investing if they take risk. And I think that uh, is very misunderstood. Yeah. One of our mutual mentors, Todd Langford, defines risk as your chance for loss. Or I don't know if he came up with it, but I remember that just clicking. It's like, we, we believe this idea of if we take more risk, if our, chance of, our loss, chances of loss, we're going to have more. And yeah, it's really bizarre how that whole works. <laughs> kind of crazy. Um, well, in reading your, in reading your book, one of the stories that really like stood out is this idea of Haiti versus Switzerland. And I think it, I think it paints a really beautiful like picture of what, what we've been talking about. Do you want to elaborate on that? Well, it came from a guy that uh, I've actually never met, um, but I would, I would, you know, he's one of those guys where I hope I get a chance to, to meet him one day and, and talk to him. 
Uh, but his name's Bill Bonner, and he was the he is the founder of Agora Financial, which is the biggest uh, financial news to you know billion dollar revenue company, uh, and uh, you know. Uh, uh, more than a billion dollars, but he is the most um, eloquent financial writer I've ever read, and, I, and I'm fascinated by the way he speaks as well as how he uh, writes. and And he has you know a daily newsletter that he still that he still does, and uh, and it, this his stories are fascinating. And I've I've used some of his stories in the past with you know different narratives or monologues of podcasts, but this one in particular was with uh, a book called uh, Family Fortunes. And it is a book that he wrote about how to uh, ensure that your uh, wealth perpetuates beyond, uh, beyond you. That you not only pass on financial assets, that you can pass on you know, the actual wisdom uh, and education that created the assets in the first place. And so the whole Haiti versus Switzerland is you know, essentially Haiti um, is one of the most uh, rich countries when it comes to uh, natural resources, amazing soil, uh, beautiful, you know, beautiful beach. It's tropical. It's in the it's in the Caribbean, but it's one of the one of the uh, poorest countries in the world. And then you have Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland has very little natural resources, if any, uh, and it is the winters are bitter cold, and you know it's it's almost the complete opposite of of Haiti. But Switzerland is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. So what's, so what's the difference? And it comes down to the, the not the DNA, but the, the, the genealogy of those, those countries. When you're in Haiti and everything's easy, you, you know, 200 years ago, you wake up, you go to the beach, you eat some fruit, um, you, know, you go sleep in a hammock. I mean, you don't have to survive there, okay? Uh, it's all taken care of for it. You're taken care of. Life is amazing. You don't really have to do anything. In Switzerland, okay, if that was your mentality 200 years ago, you would last one winter, not even a winter, because you would die. Uh, and that's where built into that culture was preparation, yep. discipline, because they had to exercise their survival instincts, which built themselves into the actual culture. So what I think Bonner was saying uh, was that you know, you're, uh, if, if you are a wealthy family and you are uh, essentially just letting your kids have whatever they want, uh, there's no rules, they have all the money in the world, there's no discipline, okay, then the byproduct isn't going to be you know, a productive member of society. And, and I, I don't think he, you know, was putting his kids out into, you know, Alaska winters and, and telling them, hey, you need to go figure out how to survive. I don't think that was his lesson. Okay. But one of the things he talks about in the book is that uh, whenever somebody marries into the family, they do like a two week backpacking, uh, a horseback uh, camping trip in, in uh, the mountains of Argentina. Mm. And there, what it does is it really shows the resilience and, uh, you know, just the, the personality of an individual. And, you know, I have friends that uh, are rich dad advisors with Robert Kiyosaki, and they use cash flow 101 as a way to determine uh, the professionals that they want on their team. Uh, they've, they've had their CFOs, they had CFO candidate, candidates play one another so that in that environment, they can discover what wasn't on the resume and what was it in their experience, the experience that they told you about. And so I think that, I think that's the principle that Bill Bonner was trying to get across. Oh, yeah. I, I think that, yeah, the idea and the big takeaway that I had is, is this idea of being, taking responsibility and 
preparation. And, and so I, I just think it's a, just a really great story. It's something that I will remember for a very long time. And it's something that I'm going to start applying to my life is um, really building in that discipline. Okay, so I people need to go get the book. Um, but and when people ask you like, okay, you have this company, what exactly do you do? You talk about the wealth maximization account. What I'm going to do is I'm going to let you kind of share I know we can't get into the big details, but like, how can someone start applying this? And I know we're getting maybe into a little bit of a tactic, so it's not going to be as effective than um, if you if you just if you didn't take any of these principles. But like, what is the wealth maximization account, and how can someone start applying what you write about in your book? Well, I always I just use what I do uh, personally, right? So, you know, when people ask what I, what I do, it depends on who the person is and uh, the context in which I'm talking to them. If it's a neighbor or if it's a friend or if it's a family member, you know, it'll, it'll vary. Um, and so, but what I get into usually is just what I do financially, where I consider uh, me and my business, the production, you know, just where I'm going to produce the most amount of wealth. And the reason why mm -hmm. I want to produce wealth is because I'm providing value to others. And I, I, I always try to figure out how can I provide more value to others than I'm, uh, that I'm consuming. Uh, and then I'd all, I also say, and you know, typically bring into it, it is you know, the team that surrounds me where I want to benefit the lives of, of my team so that they have uh, successful families, so that they have meaningful relationships, and so that they you know, can be productive members of, of society. So that's a big, big thing for me is office culture and the people that I work with. Uh, but then I get into, that's where all my money comes from. And I try to save, you know, 50, 60% of, of what I make. Uh, and I fill up those buck, I fill up those buckets. My tier one uh, is typically a couple months of cash in the bank. Uh, and everything beyond that is, uh, is in uh, insurance policies that are set up to house, uh, house wealth. And uh, it's not going to earn you a high rate of return. Uh, and that's not necessarily the purpose. The purpose is that it meets all the requirements of that tier one bucket so that, you know, if I have a business opportunity or an investment opportunity, or I have an emergency, that money is available to me and it's safe and it's earning some interest uh, and it's liquid uh, in the case of, uh, of need. And then once I fill that tier one up, uh, I consider that what's called the uh, opportunity fund. Uh, and the opportunity fund, it could be in a wealth maximization account, these insurance, these, these uniquely structured insurance policies. Uh, you know, it could be in, in, in cash as well. But I would say the opportunity fund is identifying certain things uh, that either you can invest in. It could be education for yourself. I mean, I spend probably six figures on uh, courses and mastermind groups and events that I go to every year that help improve me so I can be a better mm -hmm. father, uh, a better uh, a better person, a better leader at my at my company. Uh, how I can market better and help my marketing team market better. You know that that's something I believe in, and that's what I invest in a, a tremendous amount of money in. Uh, and then it also could be uh, a property. I mean, I I found a, you know lots of opportunities in 2012, 13, 14, 15. Uh, not so much anymore. I don't feel comfortable with a lot of the investments that are out there, uh, and so mm -hmm. I haven't invested much in the last uh, last couple of years. Uh, and so, but when the, when there is an investment out there, I have specific criteria that I follow. Uh, and I mainly uh, just invest in either uh, property that I own uh, personally, uh, or uh, syndicators, those that actually raise capital. But I don't invest because 
of you know the actual project. I invest because of how their business is set up and the system and structure behind that business. And that comes down to their team, their mission, their values, uh, their financials, their history, um, past projects, specifically the ones that have failed and what they did in those circumstances. That becomes kind of my criteria for investing. Uh, and then above and beyond that, I really don't go beyond that. Um, I know that there mm. are some tier, uh, you know, four, threes and fours. Um, I just, I don't need to, you know, and I, I would say right. uh, for me, I would rather, uh, you know, have a speculative investment on hiring a new employee or buying a marketing system or taking mm-hmm. my, you know, taking my, my C-suite or my, uh, you know, my, my executive team on a, on a retreat. That is way better of an investment for me than, you know, going and, and gambling, which I consider kind of a tier, a tier four. Uh, type right. investment. So that's right. You know, as I get into what I do, that's what I say that I do personally. And then I typically will get into, okay, what do you do for business? And that's where I said, here's my team. This is what my team does. And we have, you know, a bunch of clients and here's why they do business with us. But I also have like, I created this culture document. It's a living document for my, uh, for my company. And I've often sent that uh, to people, sent the link to the, uh, uh, sent a link out to people as far as uh, what we do, what we believe in, what uh, what's our uh, UVP, unique value proposition. Uh, and that actually does really well. We have a lot of good responses from that. That was an extremely great and helpful answer. Thank you. Um, one, one of the things that I want to end this, this interview or this conversation with is what I call the legacy question. And so say you have one more hour um, on earth and you can pass down, you can't pass down any kind of money, but you can pass down a conversation with the people that you love the most. What, what kind of things are you going to get across in that hour? Well, my biggest belief is that people in relationships are your greatest asset and, uh, being of, uh, being of value to anybody and any, and considering anyone, even if it's a homeless person or a person that doesn't, isn't perceived as someone that can help you at all, uh, is to try to learn something from everybody. Uh, and, uh, judgmental, being judgmental of other, other people comes from our experience, not theirs. And that's where, you know, I would say, relationships are the things that, that make life worth it. I mean, that's where all meaning comes from. And, and I believe people uh, are, don't understand that principle. And I try to get that into my kids every, every single day because, you know, my oldest is 13. I have a 12 year old as well, you know, and they're in a stage of their life where hormones have been kicking in and they have, you know, uh, friendships. We've been in the same neighborhood for, for the, almost their entire life. And, and there's some things that, that happen. They, people say this, people say that, but in the end, you know, there's a lot that we can do as individuals to maintain relationships and provide opportunities, you know, just to, to continue to, to benefit the lives of others. And I don't think people will ever, uh, you know, they, they won't ever regret doing that. There's never an instance, I think, in, in burning a bridge that, um, you know, that's worth it. And I, and I know that from experiences because I burned bridges in the past and I've hurt people in the past. Uh, and the results of that uh, have, have hurt me. And, and, I, and so those are mm. some of the, the painful experiences that I've had. I would say additionally, it's, it's the same thing with my experience with clients, you know? And so if I had an hour left on earth, right, that is what I would try to just make sure my kids understood were my last words. Uh, and maybe even my team mm-hmm. here, which is, this is, you know, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe uh, that, you know, people in relationships 
are the most important thing to your life. And here are the different elements or, or principles associated with a meaningful relationship. Patrick, what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you or get a hold of the book? Oh uh, yeah, so the, we have a uh, the book has a website, and so obviously you can go into Amazon, you know, and it's all it's all the it's all there. But uh, the website's what's the website again? Heads uh, heads or tails I win dot com. So yeah, there's like social media links, and I love it. We have a, there's a study guide as well, so you can oh. there's complimentary access to like a study guide that has some you know, videos and articles and links and stuff like that. And all those links will be in the show notes. Um, hoping uh, we can have a rematch sometime in ping pong. <laughs> let's, let's do it, man. Let's do it, man. I was, I was easy on you last time. Yeah, that's right. Well, the paddles, <laughs> see, we got to get some good paddles here. <laughs> yeah. Those, those were, those were definitely, yeah, those were not, uh, those are not good paddles, but yeah, we, we love ping pong here. We have a big, we have a nice ping pong table and got pretty good. Thank you. But you're even yeah. better. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Patrick Donahoe. And uh, if you did, would love to hear from you. You can reach me at Caleb at BetterWealthSolutions.com. That's Caleb at BetterWealthSolutions.com. I would love to hear kind of your takeaways, what you loved about the podcast and areas that we can improve. Now, another thing that I'm asking you to do is if you like the podcast and you haven't subscribed, please do so and leave a comment. Subscribing to the podcast and leaving comments really help my podcast grow and be reached by many others. The next week, we get to hear from Kim Butler. Now, Patrick actually mentioned in his in his interview with me and in his book the significance that Kim has had on his on his life. Kim has had an incredible impact on my life, and she runs the Prosperity of Economics Movement Group, which I've been a part of, and she also has written so many books. Uh, she's you know, just very fun person to talk with, has a lot of great wisdom, and you won't want to miss her podcast that I got to do with her next week. Um, so tune in next Monday for that episode. Thank you so much. Have an amazing week. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.